Morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life. And it is an honor to welcome you into our family room or to have you joining us online. We've got a very special Sunday for you. Um, but I thought it would be pretty cool to start off today by recognizing our veterans. Can we give them a big round of applause? Thank you for your service and what you do in our community. We love you and just so appreciate you and, and, uh, and honor you today. Um, today is an interesting day. So we're starting a new series called Beyond Me, where we look through scripture and we find those stories where God calls us to go beyond ourselves. And if we're going to be honest, that's every single story, right? Where God calls us to go do something and it, we have all of these gifts and talents and things he's given us, but then he requires us to step out in faith and he meets us in the middle of that challenge. And so over these next three weeks, um, well, you're going to hear about some of the different mission opportunities that we have and some of the different mission opportunities that we're a part of here in our community and around the world. One of the things that you'll notice is lined up right here across the stage, all these boxes. Uh, this is food that you donated. And so as the next week or so goes on, this food will make its way out into the community to families so that they can have that resource for them at Thanksgiving. And, and you guys brought all that food in. And so thank you for doing that work. And another way um, that we're going to celebrate, this is this is interesting. And, and it's, I don't know, we do it. We do these things and I always wonder how they go over. But we have uh, missionaries that we support that are in Tokyo, um, Jesse and Reba Lothar. Uh, they sold everything that they had and they moved to Tokyo. They're learning Japanese and they are connecting people to Jesus. We love them. They are as cute as can possibly be and they are doing the work of the ministry. So as they're learning Japanese, we reached out to them and said, hey, could you guys like pray the Lord's Prayer in Japanese and video it and send it to us so that we can all celebrate that and hear it together? And they're like, yeah. So we're going to start the service off today by connecting our hearts to the Lord's Prayer as spoken in Japanese. Does that sound like a cool way to start the service? All right, so I invite you, if you will, to go ahead and stand, and then after they pray, um, we will also pray as well. So turn your attentions to the screen and, and pray with us. Konnichiwa. Hey guys, we're Jesse and Reba Lothar, and we are missionaries serving in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, would you please stand and join us for the Lord's Prayer?天に Thank you, guys. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, just seeing the smiles on their face and knowing that daily they interact with people who've never heard the message of Christ. And we just pray right now, God, that in all of our missionary areas, Lord, whether it's in Japan or in Zimbabwe or Honduras or in Nicaragua, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is just moving, loving, caring for. And on this Sunday morning, as we lift your name up, I pray that, that God, you do a deep work inside of our hearts. We thank you for what you're doing. God, as you call us to go beyond ourselves, maybe that work is to not go to all the way across the world. Maybe that work is to be right here in our community doing what it is that you called us to do. And so I pray that today comes with a challenge to just take a step 
and to move towards being faithful in what you've given us. God, we love you. We look forward to this service and this time that we have, and it is in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So thankful that you are here to worship with us this morning. You're in for a treat. Pastor Clint is preaching today, so we're praying for him. But um, we're just glad that you're here. Words are going to be on the screen, so let's open up our hearts and give God our very best today.
is healing in the power of the Lord Most High. There is courage in the shadow of His wings. There is peace unending over all my life. There is freedom that washes over me. I find all I need.
into his presence and there he fills us up with not just what we need but so much more than that amen we're going to keep singing i pray that you would uh, join us in, in continuing to worship
this morning. My debt is paid and the victory is won. If you have any victory over anything that God has helped you with, can I get a praise to him this morning for it? He is so worthy of it today. God, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us so many times, uh, Lord, time and time again, that you just love us right where we're at. You are our rock. You are our firm foundation. We rest in you. And it's by you and you alone, Lord, that we uh, have salvation, but also in this life, uh, a strength that we can plant our feet, feet on, Lord, someone that we know is going to be there time and time again, be consistent. So we love you. We thank you so much uh, for your presence that's in this place today. As uh, Pastor Clint comes to deliver the word, we know that you're just going to um, show up in such special ways. So let your anointing be here and our hearts are open to receive whatever it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name, can everyone say amen? Thank you so much for worshiping with us before you're seated. We like to do a big uh, CLC hello to our neighbors. So make yourself friendly. Find someone uh, nearby and greet them. And then we'll, if you're watching online, we'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for Good morning and welcome to Community Life. My name is Clint Jernigan, and you allow me to be the associate pastor here, so thank you so much. Thanks for gathering here with us this morning, whether you're joining us in the family room or online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time with us, uh, we are so grateful that you would uh, join us, that you'd be here with us to worship and to dive into scripture. If you're a veteran, we also, again, want to uh, celebrate you this morning. Thank you so much for your service, for what you have put into our nation. And you, we, are, we are so grateful uh, for you, incredibly grateful for you. At Community Life, uh, we believe that our mission uh, is short, it's sweet, and we believe uh, that we love God, we love our neighbor, and our mission, our goal, our purpose is to connect people to Jesus because we believe he is the source of life. And when you find that source of life, then you want to share it with everybody you possibly can. So all of our ministries, all of our programs, all of our missions, everything runs through the filter of our mission, and that's what we do. Speaking of some of the things that are coming up, uh, we'll let you know about a couple of things. This Wednesday night at 6 o'clock here in our family room, we are gathering together for a night of worship. These are crazy days, and if you're anything like me and your life is anything like me, it is such a blessing to be able to gather together, to sing together, to worship uh, just to be together as a church family. So this Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, in this room, we invite you to be here. Uh, Nate and Matt, they'll have the youth in here uh, as, a, as a part of that as well. Uh, Kristen and her team will have kids' ministry programming 
for uh, birth through fifth graders. So if you would like to drop them off in there, you can. Uh, and immediately before that service at 5.30, out on the, the prayer labyrinth out back, we're going to be dedicating our brand new Angel of Hope statue. So this is not the Angel of Hope uh, service that we'll be doing uh, in December. This is a recognition, an appreciation, a celebration, and a dedication of the Angel of Hope statue right here uh, in our garden out back by the, um, the prayer labyrinth. So join us for that at 5.30 and then night of worship at 6 in here. Also coming up, <clears throat> starting this Sunday, uh, we've got 115 Advent angels. We've partnered with Caring and Sharing of South Santa Rosa County uh, to find some of our neighbors who are in most need. So we get the opportunity to provide Christmas presents and gifts to children and teens and seniors in our community who might not otherwise have um, Christmas presents. And so if you would like to be a part of that, you can see Miss Vicki and her team out in the lobby immediately after the service, or you can jump on the app. Um, you can search through and you can find uh, an Advent angel that you connect with and that you would like to provide uh, presents for. That is such a fun Sunday coming up in just a couple of weeks where you bring in all the presents. There's bicycles and there's trash bags full of gifts and toys and things for people right here in our community. So thank you for being so faithful to that. If you want information about that or more information about anything else that's going around there, I encourage you to go to the QR code on the seat back in front of you or check it out on the screen right now. The one on the left are events, things that are happening, things that you need to know about right here at Community Life. And the QR code on the right is a way for you to, to follow that link and give if you would like to and continue to support the ministries and the missions, the programs here at Community Life Church. Thank you for being so uh, um, giving in the way that you reach out and support us that way. As Scott mentioned, we are starting a new three-week series today called Beyond Me. Uh, as we were sitting about 14 months ago planning out the series for the year, what we realized is during this time of year, there's something that turns on inside of our brains and our hearts. There's a slight shift inside of us. Maybe it's the weather is slightly below 85 degrees and we get all warm and want to like make a fire or at least put the fire on the television, right? A fake fire. Uh, we also notice there's a huge spike in the number of Hallmark Christmas movies that are viewed this time of year. In addition, there are, there's like a nationwide um, awareness of people just to get volunteer, to go serve in homeless shelters, um, to serve food to folks, to bring in gifts. Thank you so much for, for your Thanksgiving uh, dinner um, food that you brought in for our neighbors right here. So there's something that awakens inside of us. So as a, as a way of talking about that in light of our faith and in light of Scripture, we decided to call this series Beyond Me because it's in this season, as Scott mentioned earlier, it's also throughout the year that we need to consider living beyond ourselves and what the world is, uh, is in need of and how we can um, see those needs. So as we're talking about this, um, this week we are studying in Acts chapter 9, um, a guy named Ananias. But before we jump into the story, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. If you'd like to go ahead and find Acts chapter 9 in your Bible, you can. Of course, the, the verses will be on the screen behind me. I'll be reading from the New International Version or the NIV, but you can follow along in whatever, um, whatever version is most comfortable for you. So this story takes place after Jesus' crucifixion and burial and his resurrection. So Acts 1 starts, uh, as the writer Luke uh, has it, as a continuation of his gospel, according to Luke, and then he just slides right into Acts. And it describes the early church, 
what it looked like, what they did. And this first chapter, we see Jesus still with them, and he gives them this challenge and this understanding of what they are to do. This is a verse from uh, chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love this, I love this story that, that Jesus gives them a little bit of insight as to where they're going and how they're going to be included in his greater plan to reach not only Jerusalem, not only the Jews, but to the ends of the earth. Of the world. Notice, though, how he does not describe how it will spread. He only tells them the way it will happen, that it will start in Jerusalem, those places that they're comfortable with. It will spread into the countryside of Judea, into Samaria, and those places that many of the Jews at that time did not want to go, and, of course, then to the ends of the earth. But in those days, most of the church was comfortably concentrated in Jerusalem, then in less than three years after Jesus' ascension, the temperature changed. The leading Jews at the time started to have struggles with the followers of Jesus, who never intended to start out building their own separate religion. They were merely living into their faith as they understood it, as they understood prophecy about the Messiah, and realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of that Jewish prophecy in their life. So as they went to temple, as they prayed in the courts, as they did their lives, the Jewish leaders of the time started to get a little offended, more than a little offended. Actually, it all kind of culminated um, with the arrest and trial and ultimately execution of one of the leaders of the, uh, leaders of the Jesus following, right, of the Jesus movement. His name is Stephen. He shared his faith in a bold way, and they accused him of blaspheming. And so what they did was they um, sentenced him to death, and they threw rocks at him until he was dead. Stephen's execution um, was also noted because there was a special person there who was a part of the Sanhedrin, one of the religious rulers who would have voted uh, almost on their high council for Stephen's stoning. He was also there present when Stephen was killed, and his name was Saul, and we'll talk more about him in just a minute. But as you can imagine, word about Stephen's death spread quickly, and subsequently it terrified believers who lived in Jerusalem. They fled into the surrounding cities and the regions to escape this persecution. They left Jerusalem, and guess where they went? Into Judea. We read in chapter 8 about one of the disciples, an apostle named Philip, went to Samaria and shared the good news in Samaria. And then we see believers being scattered across the world to the ends of the known world at the time, precisely as Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It seemed Jesus' challenge to his disciples was prophetic, and persecution would be its catalyst. So chapter 9 takes place a few years after the start of the early church and Stephen's death, and this is where we jump in our story today. Acts chapter, one, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, 
the way is the way that they actually referred to believers of Jesus at this time. So before we were even called Christians, which was later, in a later chapter in Acts, in a place called Antioch, the Jewish leaders of the time were just calling believers of Jesus part of the way. So as he was uh, there, to, if he found anybody who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could, not, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hands into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Okay, so that was a lot. Perhaps it was enough for some of you. Maybe some of us wanted more information about, but we're going to jump in and try to understand what has happened in these first few verses in chapter 9 and understand the impact uh, that these verses have. So... Um, in this first verse, it says, it starts out, verse 1, meanwhile Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Luke wants us to know that in light of everything that is happening, Paul is doing this. Luke actually uh, starts the previous chapter, chapter 8, by also saying this about Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him, talking about Stephen. So chapter 8 starts out with Paul approving of the death of Stephen in chapter 9 starts out by saying Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. Needless to say, this is a bad dude. He went, Saul went on his own to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul is asking for permission to the high priest to go to another city and arrest people who are followers of the way or followers of Jesus and bring them back in chains. Apparently, he feels pretty confident that they've gotten some sort of control on the, uh, the Christians maybe at the time in Jerusalem, or maybe that was somebody else's job, and he wants to be an overachiever. He wants to go into the next city. He wants to push on down to the Decapolis and be uh, part of the hunt for people like you and I in those places. Do you remember being in school, and there was that kid. So everyone else is getting ready for maybe Christmas break. Everybody else is just getting ready to wind down and put their books away for a little while. Everybody's just getting ready to relax, including the teachers. And there's that one kid who stands up on the last day before two weeks off and says, Mrs. Krabappel, can you please assign me extra homework over the break so that I can lean in? Give me a project. Like, I would love to do more schoolwork that you would have to grade later, mind you, uh, so that I'm not, so that I can learn and get ahead and kind of push forward. Like, this is Saul in this case. He is the overachiever who is trying to go beyond uh, and do what he wants to do. So he's looking for permission to persecute more followers, because apparently he believes the Jewish leadership of the time isn't moving fast enough or doing enough. Also, consider what Saul might have been thinking. So throughout the Jewish history, there would have been people who, uh, who are watching as God's people are being corrupted or being led astray or being taught something false. 
And then there's kind of a, a realignment that happens. And so Saul is looking at these early believers, at people who are following Jesus, and he's thinking, yeah, these guys have it all wrong. We have to keep safe and holy and sacred those things uh, that we believe. And these Christians, these followers of Jesus, are, are, are trying to poison our belief system. So up to him, he wants to get rid of this, uh, this blasphemous thing. He wants to stamp it out, and he wants to go chase it out to the ends of the road. And apparently, um, Paul received permission to go to Damascus, and I get to use a laser pointer. So stoked, you guys. So we've got a picture here. Um, Saul would have left through a gate that looks something like this. This is uh, the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem as it stands today. And uh, this is on the northern wall of Jer the city of Jerusalem. So he would have ridden out or walked out or gone out of this gate 100% maybe uh, on his way. So imagine Saul leaving there with plans, with heart, with intentions, to, with letters approving his going to Damascus and hunting down followers of the way. We've got a map that'll show that uh, journey. So this is a modern day map. You can pick out some of the, the nations and countries that are there. But we find ourselves here in Jerusalem. Notice that I have a purple laser pointer because I'm a daddy of little girls. And he would have traveled up here to Damascus along the way. Uh, we've got a zoomed-in version of this map, and it looks like Google Maps. Uh, where we start here in Jerusalem, Judea is, of course, the countryside, uh, Samaria, and Damascus is up here. This is about a 130-mile journey, and on foot it would have taken about six days. He would have traveled along the Jordan River, past the sea, and then up here into Damascus. However, something is about to interrupt his trip. Verse 3 says, as he, I'm sorry, sorry, there's a picture also of the road. Let me, let me show you this beautiful, smooth blacktop that you get to cruise on. Now, if you are frustrated as I am about all the work that is happening on 98 right now, this is going to put new, new perspective for me. Like, at least I don't have to. Okay, so this is a, a, a picture of the Romans road leading to Damascus. All right, so as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to him say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I love how oftentimes in Scripture, Jesus will say someone's name twice. Saul, Saul, or Martha, Martha, right? We see God in the Old Testament reach out to Moses and say, Moses, Moses Abraham, Abraham. This, this idea that he's trying to capture our attention, perhaps. He's trying to, trying to get a hold of us, slow us down just enough for us to be able to, to pay attention and to listen. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. So Jesus had just said, why do you persecute me? And Saul's response is, who are you? As if Paul has been persecuting so many people. He's like, listen, man, there is a long list. You got to narrow this thing down for me, all right? Listen, I've been persecuting a ton of people. If you want me to know who you are, you have to give me a little bit more than uh, you've been persecuting me. But 
There's also something inside of this line that says, who are you, Lord? This word, Lord, in the Greek uh, is more along the lines of sir. Like it's a recognition of strength and power. It's probably not um, something where, Paul is, or where Saul is saying, like, hey, I believe that you are the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the king of the world. And this guy. He's probably just saying, like, hey, I'm recognizing you as someone with power and strength. And I can tell that because I'm now on the ground. You have knocked me to the ground. And so who are you, sir? Who are you, Lord? And this is how Jesus responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At this point, in some of your, some of your scripture, they may also uh, tag in a line that talks about um, kicking against the goads. Uh, this is a line that we see later in, in my translation uh, in chapter 22 and in chapter 26, and sometimes it's entered here as well, and it's Jesus' way of saying, like, you've been trying to do your, things your way, haven't you? how's that working out for you, right? If your parents ever said that when you were little, like, oh yeah, how's that working out for you? Yeah, like that, that's not a good choice. So some, some translations have that line in here. Some of them don't, but we'll move on. Um, he replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I love how Jesus says, I am Jesus. This is the Greek version of the Hebrew understanding of I am. As in, when Moses asked God, hey, who am I supposed to tell these people your name is? And God told Moses, I am. I, I am. I don't know what to tell you. I am. And then Jesus says the same thing in the Greek version. That he said, I am, which Paul would have understood. I, he's claiming I am Jesus. It's a beautiful and powerful moment. Also notice that Jesus owns the persecution of his people. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He's not saying, like, I am Jesus, and you're messing with my people, and I'm upset about it. No, he's saying, you're persecuting me. This is, this is our pain, our suffering that Jesus is taking upon himself and taking it to heart and taking it personally. This reminds me of the verse in John chapter 15. It says, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. His bride is being attacked and injured. Jesus takes your pain very personally as well. He hurts when you hurt. I also love that Jesus doesn't lay out the entirety of Saul's life at this point. He's got him in a place, he's listening, and Jesus could have said, get up, go into the city, which he says, and there you will meet a man and you'll receive your sight and you'll also... uh, be baptized, you will then start preaching. You will spend 13 or so years in the wilderness building your theology. You will come back. You will start many churches. You will write letters to these churches. These letters to these churches will then be canonized and placed into this beautiful book that is known as the Bible. This scripture will be used throughout generations and across the millennia to help people grow their faith and understand who God really is. No, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't say anything like that to Saul at this point. He merely says, now get up, and go into the city, and I'll tell you what you got to do next. Maybe for us in our lives, we've become so overwhelmed with the later, with the what's happening, what am I going to do in three years, what am I going to do in the, what, oh my goodness, in seven years from now, oh, what am I? Maybe the word for you today is that Jesus wants you to take the next step. He just wants you to get up from where you are and to go into the city. He just wants you to take one step in your faith. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless as they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul clearly had a powerful, life-changing encounter with the risen Savior of the world. This experience left Saul reeling, for sure. I wonder what he was contemplating in those days. I wonder if he was thinking about being there when Stephen was put on trial and executed. I wonder if he was thinking about the glory that the Scripture talks about that shone around Stephen's face and the way that he even in those final moments prayed similarly to Jesus, God, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. I wonder if Paul, Saul was contemplating all of these things and building these up. I wonder if he was leaning into his his training and his education on, on Judaism and how he would have learned all the prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, and realized that Jesus is the complete fulfillment of all of those prophecies that he had ever learned about. I wonder if the light started to come on, even in his blindness, about these things, but we don't know. The story then takes a shift, and Saul is not left to his agony and his affliction. Verse 10 says this, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. Imagine, imagine Ananias' face in this moment as he hears Christ's voice call out his name. I mean, in, in the only thing that we really know about him is that he was a disciple and he was in Damascus. So as a disciple, he would not have been a, an apostle or a, a great leader of the church. He would have been a believer, You've been a disciplined believer, perhaps in the way that he studied scripture, that he prayed, that he had a relationship, a belief in Jesus. And he gathered with other believers and they shared their faith together. He was, he was a disciple. Now, many of us may not know about him, or maybe some of us have heard about another Ananias that we read about in chapter 5. This is not that Ananias. This is Ananias that we get a few short verses about but who will change the world through his faith. Probably more of us have heard about Saul, right? If we had to guess, um, we have heard uh, us discuss him. Now, Saul, as many of you know, uh, later became known as Paul. There was a big switch there. So Saul now became Paul later, same guy, but he is the one who wrote uh, Galatians, for example. We just finished a series on Galatians. This is the same guy. Traveled around, missionary work, started churches, encouraged people, ultimately sacrificed his life. But this is the guy whom we're talking about. While Ananias was known as a disciple, he may have been overlooked by other people, but he was certainly 
known by God. Verse 11 says, The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. So you're there. Perhaps Ananias is in his home and he hears the word of the Lord. Ananias. Yes. The guy whose heart has been tuned to the Spirit of God through his being a disciple, being dedicated, devoted through his prayer, through his life. He hears the word of, of the Lord speak to him. And he, maybe he's thinking, yes, Lord. Like he realizes who it is. And he's thinking, this is, this is God. He's speaking to me. He's calling me. Let's see what it is. Yes, Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the house of Judah on Straight Street. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. That's just a few streets over from where I live. That's, in, that's beautiful. That's incredible. I actually, yeah, House of Judah, my wife plays Bunko there twice a month. Like, I know right where that is. Yeah, uh-huh. Saul of Tarsus? Huh. Okay, yeah. So, um, why don't you do this, God? I know who this guy is. He's got a crazy reputation. Why don't you just go ahead and give Saul another vision of someone else coming to also, like, to heal him instead. Like, I'm just, I don't want to get tangled up in that. I know why that guy's in this city, and I don't really want to be found out. Actually, I know Pastor Addie is very free. She would love to go pray with somebody, bring some healing, just kind of love on them. Like, let's, let's, let, let's let Pastor Addie go take care of that. How amazing is it in these moments that Jesus shows grace and love and acceptance? And that Jesus is there for Saul on the road, and he's there for Saul in Judas's house on Straight Street, and he's present in Ananias' life as well. To help us understand this a little bit more, I'm going to break out the laser pointer. Here is an aerial, uh, here's the uh, aerial map of, uh, no, this is Straight Street, I apologize. This is Straight Street, actual street, still there in Damascus. This is a more modern day picture of it, but it's a street, and it's straight uh, here's an aerial, aerial view of that. So um, Saul would have entered Damascus somewhere around here. Here is the straight street, still one of the main thoroughfares that kind of cuts the city uh, through. And Ananias is believed to have lived somewhere up in this area. So when Jesus speaks to Ananias, he would have known right where straight street was, one of the center hubs of the town. And he says, okay, I'm going to need you uh, to go there. But I love how Ananias apparently doesn't have any beef or concern that God has said, I need you to go lay your hands on him and restore his sight. Okay, that's like a miraculous thing that I'm, I'm guessing that Ananias is like, yeah, that's an ordinary everyday thing. But let's talk about Saul, though, for a second. No, instead, like, he's like, let's, let's, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the blind thing at all. Um, listen, I don't know if you've heard about these things, about this guy down here, but he's got a, a reputation, like a real strong reputation for coming after your people in Jerusalem. And do you know why he's here? Because he's a total overachiever. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You see how Jesus offers Ananias this grace, this love, this understanding, this peek into his playbook. He doesn't have to show this to Ananias. All he has to say is, no, like, don't worry about that. I just need you to go. Just go take a step. And instead, Jesus says, Ananias, like, this is, this is part of the plan. I need you to go. I need you to talk to Saul. I know what you think his reputation's about, but I know him differently. 
he is, he, this is the plan, and you're going to be a part of it. Um, let's go. Jesus offers them that insight. What a gift. What a gift. Verse 17 continues on. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who, appealed, uh, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. In my experience, Paul's journey and his encounter are completely on par with every mission trip I've ever taken. <laughs> Maybe even your, some of your family trips have looked like this, like, yeah, we're going to go to Austin, and you end up in Orlando, or something crazy like that happens. But in Saul's trip, his plans and his expectations, as he left the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, were changed. God had other plans for him, and perhaps God has their plans for you as well. So in those moments, Saul learned to trust, to have faith, and to pivot his plans. And in the end result, Saul's life became something completely different than anything he could have hoped or imagined. Consider Ananias as well. He went to the house, he entered it, he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the same Jesus who appeared to you on the road sent me to you. I love how God orchestrates things, right? Sometimes we get to see it like in this scripture, like, oh, God said this to you, well, he said the same thing to me, or this is why we're looking back at our lives, we're like, man, I can see that those people were present in my life at just the right time and they said exactly the right thing, or they, they prayed, or they, whatever, they gave me exactly what I needed in those moments. God is an incredible orchestrator, and Jesus is doing this also. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to set Saul here, and Ananias, I'm going to get you to go here. And so Ananias leans in, and he shows up, and he says, hey, bro, uh, brother, brother, brother Saul, like, don't shoot, don't, right? Like, I, I know why you're here. I know why you came into this city, um, but I am not an enemy. I'm a friend. I'm a, I'm a brother. I'm not a stranger. Um, we have the same story. This intersection of our life is orchestrated by Christ. Perhaps in his uh, greeting of Saul, he was trying to maybe even grease the skids a little bit and say, Saul, just, just hear me out, right? Before you arrest me, let's find this out. I'm here to help you. And then 18 says, immediately something like scale fell from Saul's eyes and he can see again. After taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul spent a few days with the disciples there learning in Damascus. I love how Ananias and the other believers nearby, they didn't waste any time. They straight took care of him, they baptized him, and they watched after him. They helped him regain his strength. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard about him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc? Isn't he the guy who did this? And isn't he here for a, a very different reason? 
I love how scripture says that he was astonished and is baffled. And these words are perfect words to describe what has happened to Saul in his life. Imagine if Christ can take someone like Saul and impact him so greatly, what could he do in your life? If God can take an ordinary believer and disciple like Ananias and have him impact the life of someone who's going to lead an entire chain of churches and Christians across time and millennium, imagine what God can do in your life if he could do that with Ananias' life. So I believe when we read Scripture, we allow it to change us, right? We don't just, we read it, and we close it, and we walk out the door, we move on. We allow it to, to change us, like on a cellular level. It, it changes the way we think. It changes our awareness about ourselves. It allows us to, to move into to new spaces. And so here's what I want us to consider, that it's easy to make the story about Saul, but in many ways it's about Ananias. It's about his faith. It's about his faith in Jesus calling over the reputation that someone else is known by. His actions defy the logic because you don't go looking for trouble when it's looking for you. He faced great punishment if things went sideways, but instead he leaned into his faith. Ananias was only known as a disciple. Again, he was not a leader in a church. He was a believer. He was disciplined in his faith, in his studying, in his prayer, in his gathering together, in the way he gave, and this helped him prepare for what God had him to do. Ananias was obedient, and he heard Jesus' voice, and he responded. Even though he asked questions, he still leaned into his faith and was a part of the greater story. It's easy to get wrapped up in our own story. I love how this morning's service was opened up by Jesse and Reba. Uh, Scott mentioned two crazy uh, young married couples sold all their stuff from here, moved to Japan because God was calling them to, and, uh, and they're getting to, to connect people to Jesus in Japan in, in pretty crazy ways. But Jesus just called Ananias to walk down the street Maybe for some of us here, God's calling you to do things like Jesse and Reba and to, to sell your stuff and to move to Central America or move somewhere else. Maybe for some of us here, he's just asking you to walk across the cul-de-sac, like to have a conversation, to invite someone you work with to coffee and share your faith with them. Maybe this week's challenge is for you to use your social media platform and for your, to leverage your relationships and your understandings and your, your education to grow the kingdom and to connect people to Jesus in those ways. Ananias was not well known, but without Ananias, there would be no Paul. That was his his mission. So in closing, I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this church, of this community, who understands that when we say uh, the church is going to be a part of it, that doesn't mean somebody else, that means us, that we own it, that we put our faith in action in this community in very real and tangible ways, as lining the stage today, that we're able to, to reach out across this globe and go, just like Jesus said, from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Our humble congregation has been able to do that in real and incredible ways. Your work this year has led to schools being built in Honduras, children being rescued from a life in a landfill in Nicaragua, missionaries con- connecting young adults to Jesus in Japan, over 16,000 people daily um, receiving clean drinking water in Zimbabwe and closer to home feeding dozens of homeless people every month, and serving and working and building uh, on the men's shelter in Pensacola. 
We're running chainsaws as part of our disaster relief team and supporting local retreats for wounded warriors and also fighting the battle of human trafficking and so much more. So your challenge this week is to continue to grow into your faith. Study in your Bible, pray, but then also share your faith with someone else. When you wake up tomorrow, I challenge you to pray a dangerous prayer. And what that looks like is that you will ask God to lead you to accomplish astounding and baffling things for his kingdom. I'm so grateful for this story. For an ordinary, simple believer, just like Ananias, to have incredible impact in this world, he is truly one of the unsung heroes. And I pray and I I believe that there will be many unsung heroes that comes out of our church. Would you stand as I pray and we get ready to leave together? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We are so grateful for this time, for the story of Ananias, the way that you reached out to an ordinary guy who believed in you, who had set up his faith as a disciple in you, and who was obedient when the time came. God, perhaps you're asking us to do incredible things that defy all logic, but God, we're so grateful for, uh, for you including us in your story. Help us to pray bold prayers. Help us to live beyond ourselves and to realize that you've called us into your greater story. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. Addie's gonna be over here, Pastor Addie, hey buddy. She's gonna be over here on this side if we can uh, pray for you about something, and I'll be on this side. We are so grateful that you would gather with us during this time. The altars are open. We invite you to sing or consider the words. Thank you.
I appreciate Clint preaching today. Um, one of the things that Tammy sometimes will accuse me of is being an anxiety pusher. Like I get worried about stuff, like there's a lot of things to be, a bit to be accomplished. And, and, you know, God oftentimes grabs me and says, Scott, I didn't call you to do all of that. I called you to take a step today, to be faithful today, to do the things that are in front of you. And if you take care of and you're faithful with the things that God has placed in front of you today, you will see all of those things accomplished. And so I appreciate that part. Thinking about Ananias, just cross the cul-de-sac, right? Love somebody that's, that's near you. Uh, do what it is that God has placed in front of you, and we're going to see God do great things in our midst. Thank you for being here today. Um, if maybe today's your first time or you've been coming for a little while and you want to make a, a bigger connection, we'd love to meet with you in our Next Steps room, which is right out in the lobby. Um, just to say hi to you and get to know you a little bit. Um, but I want to close out the service with kind of a neat thought. Um, this last week, um, it, was a, it was a sad week, but we, we had a celebration of life service for one of the couples that have been such a, such a formidable part of our church, uh, Jim and Gail Bear, um, Gulf Breeze Methodist here, helping us to really fashion over the years. And they passed within 82 days of each other and just left a big void for us. But we celebrated their lives on Friday. And one of the things that they did is they took their entire um, library of books, all of their studies, all of the Bible studies that they've led throughout the years, and they donated them to the church for us to give away. And so in the lobby, on the window, on the way out, if you're interested in taking a book, please do that. That would honor them in such an incredible way. Take it, study it, grab as many books as you want. We've been carrying these books around for the last two weeks. So please, please, please take them all on your way out today. Read them and allow God to do something in your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And as we go from this place, I just pray that, that you would reveal to us what that next step is. Lord, just continue to help us to grow our faith and to see thy kingdom come and thy will be done here on this earth. God, as you've spoken it into heaven, um, you know what's going on in our hearts and our lives, and we just entrust you with every single step of that. We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.
I've got one.